Father, we pray uh, that you would indeed help us now to hear your word and to obey. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a wheel of a tail, and one we've heard from Sunday school days. If we had asked you on the way in tonight, tell me what you know about the story of Jonah, we would have pieced together a fair good bit of it, I'm sure. But front and centre of all that you probably would have said was the wheel. Or the big fish. It's probably what Jonah is best known for. And it's where he ends up at the end of chapter 1. Now, there's no doubt that the big fish is a big character in the story of Jonah. But no matter how big the big fish was, there's someone else who is at the centre of Jonah's story. And it isn't Jonah either, by the way. At the centre of Jonah's story, just as at the centre of the whole Bible, is none other than the Lord. So while we'll hear something about the big fish, and we'll learn something about Jonah himself, the whole story is teaching us lots about the Lord. In the very first words of the story, and it would be good to have them open in front of you, page 927 in the Pew Bibles. In the very first words of the story, we see that God speaks and God sends. We read there, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. God is not silent. He spoke creation into being and he continues to speak revealing himself, revealing his will, calling us to himself. We have his a word written down for us through which he speaks to us. But more than that, God speaks and God sends. God sends Jonah, in this instance, to Nineveh. And now that name might not mean much to us, really. But Nineveh was one of the cities of the nation of Assyria, one of the superpowers of the day. Uh, an enemy and a threat who would eventually come and capture the northern kingdom of Israel. Today, uh, it doesn't go by Nineveh anymore, but you may well have heard its name on news broadcasts over recent years. The city of Mosul in Iraq. That's where Nineveh is. And that's where God sends Jonah to go and preach against it. So God says, go. And Jonah says, no. You're doing very well. 
God says go, and Jonah says no. Instead of going, let me see, I have to get my job right. Instead of going east to Nineveh, Jonah heads west for Tarshish, for modern day Spain. Now to get there, he has to go by boat, and so he heads to the port at Joppa, and he just happens to find a boat which is going west. He pays his fare, and he sets sail. And notice in both verses 3 and 4, just to be sure exactly what is happening, we're told that he ran away from the Lord, and verse 4, that he does it to flee from the Lord. Now, a quick question for you. Do you think that it's possible to flee from the Lord? No. The answer is, of course, no. Uh, Jonah would have known Psalm 139, which includes these words. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, Even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand hold me fast. Jonah knows this. And yet he persists in trying to run from the Lord. And we may laugh at him for trying to do it. But we know that as well. And how often we try to run. From the Lord. We know what God wants us to do, and we say, No, I've got something else that I'd rather do. We uh, try to go the opposite way. Now, does it work? No. Did it work for Jonah? Well, let's see. It turns out. This may surprise you, but it turns out that the Lord is also present, uh, verse 4, on the sea. It says there, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. The Lord who sent Jonah has also sent the great wind. It's such a bad storm that the seasoned sailors are scared and they're crying out to their small g gods. In fact, it's so bad that they even throw the cargo overboard in an attempt to lighten the ship. You see, by doing that, They wouldn't be paid if they ever made it back to shore because, well, if you've got no cargo, you've nothing to be paid for. But this was life or death. Better to live and lose out on a payday than to lose their lives at sea. Now, all this is going on above deck. You can imagine it as a movie 
It's, it's hard to see. There's that much water. And the wind howls, so you can hardly hear what they're saying. And the waves lash over the side of the ship. It's all very dangerous and very dramatic. And then the scene changes. It's all peaceful and calm below deck. Apart from the sound of a gentle snore coming from Jonah's mouth. In all that's happening above death, Jonah is asleep, blissfully unaware of the danger that surrounds him. He's woken by the captain. How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. (coughs) Do you notice the irony there? The prophet of the Lord is called to pray by a pagan sea captain. Meanwhile, Above deck, the sailors want to find the scapegoat. They want to find who's to blame for all this trouble. And so they cast lots, and the lot falls on Jonah. So they want to know who he is and why all this is happening. And his response properly terrifies them in verse 9. He says, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. You see, these pagan sailors, they imagined that there were lots of different small g gods. And each of these gods had some sort of speciality or some local significance. And so they believed in gods of war and love and travel. And each village or nation would have its own deity to bow down and worship. But Jonah says that he is part of the one true God's people. The God over all. The God who made everything, including the sea, which troubles them right now. Now you've heard the phrase, out of the mouths of babes, where you know, a child will say something uh, quite profound. Well, here it's out of the mouths of pagans. As they ask him there at the top of the column, uh, verse 10, what have you done? You say you worship this God of land and sea who made everything and you're trying to run away from him? How foolish that is. How could you try to run away from the God who made everything? It takes these pagan sailors to point out Jonah's stupidity. Now while they've been talking, although talking may not be strong enough, debating perhaps, arguing maybe, uh, the sea has been getting rougher. It's getting worse rather than better. And so they ask what they can do to make the sea calm again. Jonah says, throw me overboard. But they can't even think of doing that. 
it would mean certain death. And so they try even harder to row back to land, but the sea gets worse and worse and worse. And so eventually, eventually they agree to Jonah's idea. And as they prepare to throw him overboard, as they sacrifice him to the sea, did you notice what they did? They cried out to the Lord. They say there, verse 14, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you please. Remember back in verse 6 when the captain uh, told Jonah to call on his God? Well, now the whole crew are calling on Jonah's God, wondering if he will take notice of them so that they will not perish. Then they gathered him up and they threw him overboard, splash. And the raging sea grew calm. Just like that. In an instant. The roaring wind and the raging waves are stilled. And in an instant. They know that their pagan gods are worthless. They know that Jonah's God is the one true God. Do you see how they respond? Verse 16. At this the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. And made vows to him. Jonah, the world's worst prophet and most reluctant missionary, was the means by which a group of pagan sailors encountered the one true living God. But it isn't that God was entirely at the mercy of Jonah. And it isn't that You know, God sits around wondering what he's going to do. And he's not sitting thinking, well, what are we going to do? And that he maybe has to frantically change his plans based on what we decide to do in the spur of the moment. You see, God wasn't sitting on heaven's throne getting updates from an angel, saying things like, what? He's not going to Nineveh. He's getting on a boat. Okay, plan B, everybody. Let's try and turn this around. No, as the whole Bible shows us, and as Jonah's story shows us, God is sovereign over everything. God is so sovereign 
that even our rebellion can be used by him to bring glory to his name. God knew what Jonah would do and had purposed to bring those sailors to himself even as Jonah disobeyed him and ran away. And we see God's sovereignty in the last thing that he sends in this first chapter. He sent Jonah. uh, He sent the wind. And then he sends, and we're not quite sure exactly what he sends. People think of a whale. Uh, Some people think of a big fish. It says, what does it say here? Uh, A great fish. Whatever it was, exactly, we're not sure. But whatever it was, it was provided by the Lord as Jonah's submarine accommodation for three days and three nights. As big as the big fish is, we see that God is bigger and is front and centre in this wheel of a tail. We see how God speaks and sends and is sovereign as he calls people to call on his name. You see, we all have run away from the Lord. All of us know what the Lord requires of us and yet we still choose to go our own way. And we think, like Jonah, that we can get away with it. And yet God in his grace sent his own son to save us. It was Jesus who came to give himself to appease God's wrath. Jesus was thrown into the stormy sea To bring us peace. He took our sins. At the wrong things we have done. And he took our sinfulness. And he took the things that we haven't done. And he paid the penalty. For all of them. And Jonah points us towards the Lord Jesus. You see, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so Jesus says that he's a sign of what Jesus would do. Three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. And on the third day, rose again, as God's sovereign, saving purpose had always planned. So if you're running from the Lord tonight, stop running. You can't outrun God. You can't outfox God's sovereign purpose. 
He calls you to call on his name and give him the glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the story of Jonah, a story that we have known for many years. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to, uh, to revisit Jonah and to see what it is that you are saying to us through him. Father, we thank you uh, that your call comes to us and keeps coming to us. We thank you for your grace that deals with our rebellion. We thank you for Jesus, who was three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. Thank you that he has been raised to new life and that we will share in it. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.